So the talk is called, It's Good to Be a Man. And uh, about two and a half years ago, I, I gave a talk at a men's breakfast called Leadership 101. So I thought today we'd do Masculinity 101. And the clue is in the title, Embracing the Responsibility of Masculinity. Um, and we're going to discuss what that means. But the title, It's Good to Be a Man, came from a book that was released uh, last year, I believe. It's a podcast series. And look, it's not the world's greatest book, and I'm sure there's lots we disagree with it. It's, but it's a great title. Uh, <laughs> it's good to be a man. Uh, it, you know, and when you read that, you're like, oh, that sounds controversial, doesn't it? It cuts against the dominant narrative of our culture. It sounds chauvinistic, derogatory. It's sort of like, yeah, the boys, sort of, you know, it sounds competitive and rude. And, and you sort of, and I heard someone explain it like this with that title, that it's sort of, you're waiting for the next sentence. Like, it's good to be a man because men rule. Or it's good to be a man because men are better, you know. But the reality is, um, how uncontroversial would that title be if it was, it's good to be a woman? No one would bat an eyelid. No one would expect anything to come from that. Now, look at that title. It's not saying, like, it's better to be a man than a woman. It's not saying it's bad to be a woman. It's a simple statement that aligns with God's description that he created us male and female, and it was very good. So maybe the title should actually be, it's very good to be a man. Amen? <laughs> but if it's good to be a man, what does it actually mean to be a man? Uh, sadly, uh, there's so much confusion in our culture on that. Uh, and really, it's easy to make jokes, and I make jokes all the time, but I should stop making jokes and actually just start almost weeping because it, we're so lost. So many young boys, so many young women are so lost as to what masculinity is. Uh, we're in a really terrible spot where who knows what a man is? Anyone can be a man. I mean... My wife sent me an emoji this week of a pregnant man. She's like, look at the new emoji that's out. Like a, a guy with a tummy. And you think, oh, and it wasn't a beer belly. Uh, and the idea, you know, that what a man is is so fluid and flexible. And so I want us to think today about what does it mean to be a man? What is masculinity 101? And I, I'm not going to, you know, I can't bring up all the topics, but I, I want to look at one thing which I think is central to God's design, other than our physicality, the fact that we have different sexual organs, all those things, hormones, and it's this. It's that idea of responsibility. Embracing the responsibility of masculinity. Uh, masculinity is not primarily defined by beards, biceps, bacon, beer, but far more than these trivialities, at the heart of masculinity is a God-given calling to embrace responsibility. At the heart of masculinity is a God-given calling to embrace responsibility. It's my hope, my modest aim, that I would awaken or refresh that God-given sense this morning. Many of you, you know this, you believe it already, so I want to Either awaken it if you weren't aware of it or refresh that sense of responsibility. But it doesn't sound very exciting or engaging. What's good about being a man? Responsibility. <laughs> 
it can feel like a bit of a letdown, something like your year advisor would say at school or your mum, uh, you know, or a lecture from a teacher, so to speak. But let's pause for a second. Why, why does it feel like a letdown? So the good thing about being a man is responsibility. Why does that feel like a letdown? Well, as fallen men, we most likely, we want our masculinity to mean we are served rather than we serve. We want to be praised rather than praise others. We want to be the center of tension rather than being a spotlight. We want the perks of hierarchy without the consequences. So if I said it's good to be a man, you get first bacon and eggs. It's good to be a man, you get the most money. It's good to be a man, you get the most attention. We'd be like, yeah, that's good. It's good to be a man, you're responsible. (laughs) I think it's part of our fallen nature. Uh, And, uh, you know, we often have two battles as men, right? Domination, that we want to be men, so we rule over the top of everyone and we crush people who are in our wake. But I think more common for the modern man is abdication, that we just want to tap out. Uh, And that's, uh, look, I totally ripped this off YouTube. But what came to mind for me as a perfect example of what this looks like is in this example here. Andrew, you are not the (laughs) father. Right. That, you know, that's a ridiculous example, but that whole TV show has millions of those examples of dudes just being like, yes, I got to have sex with you and orgasm, and I don't have the responsibility of that child. That human being, that eternal soul that's created, woo, not mine. It's terrible, isn't it? We see that, and we know that there's something intrinsically wrong. You know, a man has sex with a woman. He wants the joy, the orgasm, but not the consequence or responsibility. We know it's wrong, but if we're honest, if I'm honest, it's no fun on the flip side to being the one who bears the consequence and the responsibility. You may come in this morning feeling that weight of your manhood, the the fact that you are responsible as a husband, as a father, maybe as a son toward now your elderly parents or a sibling toward, you know, or or relations back in different countries or whatever it is. You feel the weight of manhood and you think, is this good news? But if God has given the responsibility to us as something that is intrinsic to our design and his design is good, then one of the good things about being a man is responsibility and embracing responsibility. You see the logic. If God created man and he is very good and the primary calling on man's life is responsibility, then the good thing about being a man is embracing that responsibility. And progressively, as we're changed by God's Holy Spirit, we should be growing bit by bit to see this as a good thing, albeit difficult and sacrificial. So my hope today is to awaken and refresh our sense of masculine responsibility. And I want to do that by looking at three points. And in some sense, it's like a, a flow chart from, from head to heart to hands. 
Uh, So three points, three principles for godly masculinity to get us going. So principle number one, godly men understand responsibility. That's not, godly men understand masculine responsibility. Godly men, you can't be a godly man if you don't understand masculine responsibility. Now, it's likely that all these texts that you, you can see on your outline, you know them. But the tide of the culture is going so quickly out that if we're going to ever stay ahead and actually ground it in God's word, we have to continually renew our minds with scripture so that we're not just doing this based on a vestige of like, oh, no, sovereign grace men do this because they're a show, you know, they're a, they're a man group, they're complementarity, but it's optional. That's just the sovereign grace way of doing masculinity. Now, what I want us to do is just bathe ourselves in the scriptures again so that we can soak that paradigm into our being. So let's look at Genesis 1 to 3 and just use it as a little case study to build into us again that what is God calling us to do? Who are we? So Genesis 1, 26 to 31. <clears throat> then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them Notice that, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, or mankind, we would say. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he'd made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So we see the paradigm here for humanity. Humanity hierarchically sits at the top of all creation. We shouldn't be embarrassed about ruling over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air. Um, All the environment is ours to be responsible over, to steward. Uh, The whole idea that we should limit the population of the earth to protect the environment goes against God's plan. Uh, The whole idea that we should um, let nature win over humans goes against God's plan. Instead, we're to take dominion and steward it wisely. But notice that this mandate is not just for man as male, but it's given to male and female. Both of them are created in God's image. Both of them are given the task to take dominion. Both of them are given responsibility over every seed, every plant, every living organism on earth. And that's very good. So is God's design egalitarian, that men and women are both equal in their role and their calling? Well, it would look like that if you just had Genesis chapter 1. 
But what does it mean to be a man then? Well, Genesis continues. Genesis chapter 2, sort of a slightly different take on the creation account. But verse 15 shows where we're different from women. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Now, here's where the difference in the sexes originates, and we've got to understand this. To Adam alone, God gives the responsibility of working and keeping the garden. Both are called to dominion, but Adam's call is to be the one who's the head of it, responsible for it. Both are called to do it, and we do it in differing ways in accordance with our sex and nature and calling. But the one whom God puts in charge of it is Adam. There's two words, work, kind of cultivate, create, and keep, guard, protect. And then Genesis 2.18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. He can't bear this responsibility on his own. I will make him a helper fit for him. So Adam's call is to be responsible for the dominion. And Eve's call is to help him achieve it. Her role is subordinate by nature, but not inferior. Equal, but subordinate. She is to use all of her gifting, skill, creativity, even leadership, to help the man with his responsibility to work and keep the garden. He is responsible. She is supportive. And you see this emphasized again, we won't read it now, but Genesis 2.19, the next thing that happens in the, in the account is that Adam then names and rules over all the livestock and he demonstrates his lordship by naming all the animals and then choosing a wife for himself. <clears throat> okay, one last note from Genesis. The, the way we can see that this isn't just like uh, a description uh, this is paradigmatic for who we are, is what happens after the sin occurs? Who does God come after? I'm building my case for responsibility here, 8 to 12. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten the tree of which I, of fruit of the tree of which I've commanded you not to eat? The man said, well, the woman you gave to me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Now, isn't God so sexist here, right? He comes after Adam. <laughs> You know, that's, blame it on the men. But he doesn't address Eve first. Even though technically speaking, she sinned first. He addresses Adam. Why? Because even though Eve is at fault in the specific sense of eating the fruit first, Adam is responsible. He was called to work and to keep. He was called to serve and protect the garden. And instead of fighting the snake or forbidding his wife, he went along with it. He let down his guard and death and sin entered the world. So we see in this picture that God has given both 
the dominion mandate, take control of the earth. But to the man in particular, he's given responsibility for that to take place. When it doesn't take place, who does he call upon? The man, not the woman. And what does man want to do? Blame shift. That's what I want to do every time. And we see it all throughout the rest of the, New Te- uh, the, the Old Testament and New Testament. When God curses the man, he curses his work, curses the woman's childbearing, her unique way that she is fruitful and multiplies is through bearing children. And then he curses their relationship, that her desire would be for her husband, that she would be in control of him. And then that doesn't disrupt the whole pattern though. We're not meant to get rid of the responsibility pattern. If you look throughout the rest of the whole Bible, all the priests are men, all the elders of the tribe are men, all the chiefs are men, all the kings and rulers are men, bar one usurper who's a woman who took the throne unwillingly. One judge in the history of Israel was a woman, but it was a shame to the men, and the text says that. All the writing prophets are men. Jesus came as a man. All the 12 apostles, men. All the pastors are meant to be men. The head of the home, men. In every sphere of home, family, church, worship, men are called to take responsibility and lead. That's the, that's the paradigm. So that's what we've got to think about when we, our self-conception, uh, you know, you've all got jobs and you've got a role description and you know your job. And when you're, you know, getting interviewed, you want to know what particular tasks am I meant to do? What am I going to be held accountable for? What are my KPIs? Well, God has outlined it for us. And he's saying to us, we're managers, not owners. We're given responsibility. We haven't earned it. We haven't taken it. The fact that men lead is not because we're just like stronger and therefore, haha, sucked in women, we took over. No, we were given it by God. We're given our role. We don't have the freedom to invent our job description. And we'll be held accountable for how we've managed the role, the gifts and the jobs that God has given us. If you think of it, as men, we're managers of a responsibility. We're not entrepreneurs. Okay, so that's point number one. Principle one, godly men understand masculine responsibility. Godly men understand masculine responsibility. But let's go, that's the head. Let's go now into the heart of it a little bit. Principle two, godly men embrace masculine responsibility. It's one thing to know it. It's another thing to embrace it. You know, I grew up listening to, I should have got a photo, lots of Mark Driscoll, lots of John Piper. And, uh, you know, they talk, they used to talk about this a lot. John Piper still does. I don't know what Mark Driscoll does. And even though I knew it in my head, it's taking me and still takes me so long to actually translate this into not just a thing I believe, but a thing I embrace. And, and not just a thing I believe and a thing I do, because I'm like, oh, I better do it. But actually this sense, this embracing of like, I'm a man, I'm responsible. This is my calling. This who, wherever I go, I bear this responsibility. I, this is intrinsic to me as a person. My instinct is I want to offload it. I want Maddie to bear the responsibility. I want Dave Taylor to bear the responsibility. 
Now I want Richie to bear the responsibility. You know, it's like, okay, who, where can I delegate responsibility? But we can't. Because each one of us is called to it in our different roles and spheres. And so we ought to embrace it in our hearts, our soul and our psyche. To be constantly aware, I'm on. The ball's in my court. Whatever happens here, it may not be my fault, but I'm responsible for it. John Piper captures this so well in his definition of biblical masculinity in his fantastic book, Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, that he edited with Wayne Grudem. He captures it. This is the definition that runs through the 600-page book. At the heart of mature masculinity is a sense of benevolent responsibility to lead, provide for, and protect women in ways appropriate to a man's differing relationships. At the heart of mature masculinity is a sense of benevolent responsibility to lead, provide, protect. By that, if you unpack that definition, which he does, um, the heart means it's not all of it, it's not an exhaustive thing, but at the core the base principle of what it means to be a man is to be responsible. If you're lacking responsibility, you're diminished in your masculinity. And John Parley uses that word, a sense of benevolent responsibility, a sense to capture that heart element. Uh, he says, I think I've got the quote here. <clears throat> I use the word sense because to be, masculine, to be masculine, a man must not only be responsible, but sense or feel that he is. If he does not sense or feel and affirm his responsibility, he's not mature in his masculinity. So the example of that could be, you're told by your wife, do this, and you do it. So it looks like you're taking responsibility for some task. But unless you own it, unless you sense, no, I ought to be doing this, unless you have this burden, that's not really masculinity, according to Piper. The other reason why sense is important is because it also implies that a man, this is John Piper, may not be physically able to provide or protect for his family, and yet be mature in his masculinity. He may be paralyzed. He may have a disabling disease. His wife may be the main breadwinner in such a circumstance. She may be the one who must get up at night to investigate a frightening noise in the house. This is not easy for the man. But if he still has a sense of his own benevolent responsibility under God, he will not lose his masculinity. That's really important. That's really helpful. And if you're not married, that doesn't mean you're not... If you don't have a wife or kids to, you know, it's, it's not about what you do at the heart of it. it it's that embracing. It's that God-given sense that I'm Adam. It's easy for Adam because he's like, I'm Adam. <laughs> but for all of us whose name isn't Adam, uh, I'm Adam. I'm responsible. I work and keep. That's what I do. And notice too how he 
modifies masculinity, mature masculinity. Because in a sense, masculinity, like if you have a penis, you're a man, okay? You got gonad, you, you know, like you're a dude, you got testosterone, that's how you're born. X, Y chromosome, is that guys? Oh, yeah, okay. Um, so a man might say, and I think I've got it here, um, I'm a man and I do not feel this sense of responsibility that you say makes me masculine. He may feel strong, sexually competent, forceful, rational, but we would say to him that if he does not feel this sense of benevolent responsibility toward women to lead, provide, and protect, his masculinity is immature. It is incomplete and perhaps distorted. So he sees he might be strong, potent, powerful, executive, domination, but he sees a woman being attacked and he's like, well, not my wife. No responsibility. Hmm. Not mature masculinity. Mature means that a man's sense of responsibility is in the process of growing out of its sinful distortions. The Maury Povich dancing because you're not, you know, <laughs> I'm, it's not my child. Sit out of its sinful distortions and limitations and finding its true nature as a form of love, not a form of self-assertion. So mature masculinity embraces responsibility and the responsibility is to love and serve other people, not yourself. So let's pause. I've been talking for a while. Just evaluate in your own spirit, soul, psyche. Do you understand? And do you embrace your God-given calling to responsibility? Have you embraced it overarchingly? You feel like, I'm on. I'm on. I may not be perfect or good at it, but I know I'm on. I think for most of us guys, I would say, you guys do have this, which is one of the great joys of pastoring you, is it's not a burden like that. Um, so that quote again. At the heart of mature masculinity is a sense of benevolent responsibility. And it is a burden. Always feeling like you're on. Cuts against our selfishness. The eyes of your wife or your children or your family or God are on you, looking to you.